A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, it's Amy McDonald's here. Welcome to this edition of the Arsenal Audio Programme. Arsenal versus Everton. Friday, April the 23rd, 2021. Kickoff 8pm. The contents. The manager, Mikel Arteta. The captain, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Voice of Arsenal. Player feature, Mohamed Elmany. My story. Convertible currency. 14 times. Community. Match action. Slavia Prague versus Arsenal. Forward Arsenal. Academy. Arsenal women. Visitors. Everton. Match action. Arsenal versus Fulham. My Arsenal and teams. Manager's Notes. Mikel Arteta. I'm sure you will have seen the statements and apology from the club about the Super League plans. From my perspective, I'm pleased that we can now go back to focusing on the football. We have been working hard all week preparing for tonight's game because it's the start of another huge period for us this season. We had a few days to recover from the Fulham game and we are ready to go out again tonight. We were really disappointed to only take a point last Sunday. My opinion is that we deserve to take all three. I think we totally deserved to win the match and you have to look back at the chances we created, the two goals we had disallowed and the fact we conceded from their one shot on target. So I'm disappointed with the result but I was happy with the performance of the team. At the start of the game we showed quality and the right attitude throughout. We put them in trouble, we created chances, we had a goal disallowed and then we gave a penalty away and then that puts the game in a difficult position. After that, we had to change it. We did it in the right way. The players understood how we had to attack that block and we created enough chances to win it again. VAR is there and we have to trust it, but I also think that needs to be reviewed. At the moment, we have to believe that there is an astrophysicist up there that can determine exactly when that ball leaves someone's toe, just from a TV perspective, and then look at the toe of somebody else at that exact same moment. I think it's almost impossible to do that. As I said, we responded well and it was great for Eddie to come on and get his goal too. That's what we brought him on for. That's why he's so important to us. He always shows that real desire to score goals. I think he had another two big chances to score and he put one in the back of the net. He's always a big threat in front of goal. The bad news is that Laka had to go off with a hamstring injury. It's the risk all teams have at the moment, with so many games in the schedule. 
That's why we rotated some players on Sunday, because some of them hadn't recovered from the Europa League game just three days earlier. But we cannot change all the players, so it's tough to see. We're hoping Laka's injury won't keep him out for too long. Some of the players we brought in because they deserved an opportunity. Matt Ryan, for example. I picked him because he totally deserves to play. He trains like a beast. He's got the right attitude and needed a game. It was a great header for the goal as well. But also you know that you cannot change all 10 players all the time. We took some decisions, like with Lacquer, to play in the game because he felt good and he still got injured. So it's always a balance. If you rest them, you get asked why you rested them. If you don't, you're asked why do you play them again. But injuries also provide opportunities for other players. Every player needs minutes and Eddie's been fighting all the time to get more minutes than he has been lately. It's good that when he has opportunities to show his attitude and his quality, that he's done it. We need that spirit and attitude to continue now, because we've got another big game tonight. We still want to qualify for Europe through the league, and we know we need to win every single game from now to give us the best possible chance. It's true that it doesn't depend only on us, but mathematically it is still possible, so we will keep fighting. Especially in games against direct rivals like this one with Everton. A win would give us a big positive swing and make our position stronger. We have to see it as an opportunity like that. We are in the position that we are in the league because we have not managed to be consistent enough and put some wins together. When you face the games like we had on Sunday against Fulham and you produce the chances that we did, then you have to win the game. That's what the top teams are doing consistently in the league and when you don't do it, obviously the consequences are that you are where you are. That's our challenge for the rest of the season. We know we can improve it and we are working hard on that. Thanks for your continued support. Captain's Notes, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. We all want to get back to the football after what have been an emotional few days for everyone. We are happy that the right decision was made in the end for the fans and for football. Now it's time to focus 100% on the football, because we have some really big games coming up in the next few weeks. If we want to climb up the league, it's games like this against Everton that we absolutely have to win. Everybody is dropping points. We see that every week. So that makes a game like this, against direct opposition in the table, even more important. For sure, we have to take the three points today. We want to get back in the race. So this is a great moment to do that, to get ahead of Everton and hopefully build a run until the end of the season. On my fitness, I'm making a good recovery and feeling stronger every day. Tonight's match may be too soon for me but I'm hopefully going to be back in training in the next few days and I can't wait to get back out on the pitch. I'm so grateful for all the messages people have sent me. Thank you, everyone. It will be great to see Alex Iwobi again. We had some good times together when we were together here at the club and he's someone I've kept in contact with since he left. We have a few messages on WhatsApp and it's good to see him doing well at Everton. I also know Carlo Ancelotti from my time at AC Milan. He was my coach there. He's a coach who loves his team to play good football. He builds his teams around having great players, of course. But for sure, he's someone who wants his team to play positive football. 
He's had great results with that wherever he has been in his career, and he's doing really well at Everton now, so you have to give him a lot of credit. You have to say he's one of the best coaches in the world, definitely, because his history proves that. I don't know what the secret to his success is, but I'm sure that he's got something about him which means that all his players respect him. He really cares about his players, he looks out for everyone in his squad, and that makes a big difference, and helps you to build a really strong unit of players who'd all want to give everything. It looks like he has that at Everton again now, and when you look at their squad, you see a lot of good attacking players especially. Everton have a lot of strong direct players, and it works well for them. This year their forward players like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Rickarlison, James as well. They have really made a huge difference on the pitch for them. It's going to be a tough match for us again, and we will do our analysis, prepare well, and it will be important to defend against them as a team, which I think we have been doing a lot better lately. I thought we defended well against Fulham last weekend, and were unlucky that some very close calls went against us. It was a really frustrating one to watch. We created a lot of chances, had goals disallowed, and I think Fulham only had one chance and they scored it. It looked like we would not get anything out of the game, but then Eddie was in the right place to at least get as an equaliser. It was an important goal, and we know we can depend on him at moments like that. He's been training really hard lately, and he really deserves it. It's been difficult for him at times because of course he wants to get more minutes, but we all trust him in the team, and he knows when you do get the chance, you have to take it. That's exactly what he did on Sunday, and I think it will be great for his confidence. We know we will need him for the rest of the season, so that goal could be really important for us. As I said before about my fitness, I'm feeling a lot better, and I hope to be back in action really soon, because we still have a lot to play for this season, and I'm desperate to be involved as soon as I can. Thanks everyone. The voice of Arsenal. Eddie leaves it late. Eddie's equaliser against Fulham on Sunday was timed at 96 minutes and 9 seconds, making it our latest Premier League strike since Alex Sanchez netted at the death against Burnley in January 2017. It was a winning goal that day from the penalty spot coming after 97 minutes and 14 seconds. Eddie's strike was 123rd time in Premier League history that we have scored in the 90th minute or injury time at the 6th against Fulham. This was Eddie's 5th Premier League goal for the club. It was also his first to come in the last minute away to Burnley in 2019. Incidentally, this is the first game in all competitions that Eddie has scored in that Arsenal didn't go on to win. In terms of last-minute goal scorers for Arsenal at the Premier League, Robin Van Persie and Thierry Henry topped the charts with seven each. Sunday's goal also means that we continue to lead the way for last-minute goals in Premier League history. The top six is as follows. Arsenal, 123. Manchester United, 118. Chelsea, 110. Liverpool, 96. Everton, 90. And Tottenham Hotspur, 90. Get well soon, lacquer.
Alexandra Lacazette sustained a strain to his left hamstring during last week's Premier League match against Fulham. The forward had been in sparkling form recently, grabbing his 50th Premier League goal for the Gunners as he moves to the top of the goal-scoring Chartres this season. And it is hoped that despite being unavailable this evening, this injury won't keep the Frenchman out of action for too long. He will, of course, be regularly assessed by the club's medical team. The double remembered. Thoughts that the club are most definitely turning to celebrate in 50 years since our first double when Bertie Mee's team claimed the league title on May the 3rd, 1971. At White Hart Lane, of course. Then the FA Cup with a win against Liverpool at Wembley five days later. We've been contacted by supporters who run GoonaholicsForever.com, a site dedicated to the memory of Goonaholic, a.k.a. Dave Faber, who are raising funds for the Willow Foundation with various events commemorating the double. These include exclusive interviews with Bob Wilson, Pat Rice, and they're also keen to hear from anyone who has memories of that very special week in the club's history. So please head on over to the website to see what the group have in store. Their timetable of events are as follows. May the 3rd, video conversation with Bob and Pat on the road to the title. May the 3rd to the 26th, an auction of a replica shirt and two cup final programmes signed by some of the Stars players and Bob Wilson autobiography signed by Arsene Wenger. May the 5th, fan recollections of White Hart Lane on May the 3rd, 1971. May the 8th, video conversation with Bob and Pat on the cup run. And May 10th, fan recollections of May the 8th, 1971 at Wembley. Notice board. Paul Steedman, have a very happy 65th birthday, star man. Hope you have a great day and a couple of beers from Mark. Arsenal ITK. Arsenal were unbeaten in the last 24 Premier League home games against Everton. This will be the 200th top flight meeting between Arsenal and Everton. The Gunners have won 98 of the 199 so far. More than any side has beaten another in top flight history. We have never lost in nine previous Premier League games played on Fridays. The most a team has played on a specific day of the week without ever losing these games were produced 42 goals in total, with the Gunners scoring 28 and conceding 14. Arsenal's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has scored all of three of the last Premier League home appearances against Everton, four goals in total, including his first ever strike for the Gunners in February 2018. Arsenal's Nicolas Pepe has been involved in six goals in 24 Premier League appearances this season, five goals, one assist compared to nine goals at 16. The voice of Arsenal continues. An open letter to fans. The last few days have shown us yet again the depth of feeling our supporters around the world have for this great club and the game that we love. We needed no reminding of this, but the response from supporters in recent days has given us time for further reflection and deep thought. It was never our intention to call such a deep distress. However, when the invitation to join the Super League came, whilst knowing that there were no guarantees, we did not want to be left behind to ensure we protected Arsenal and its future. As a result of listening to you and the wider football community over recent days, we are withdrawing. 
from the proposed Super League. We made a mistake and we apologise for it. We know that it takes time to restore your faith in what you are trying to achieve here at Arsenal, but let us be clear that the decision to be part of the Super League was driven by our desire to protect Arsenal, the club you love and support, and the game that you love through greater solidarity and financial stability. Stability is essential for the game that we prosper in, and we continue to strive to bring the security the game needs to move forward. The system needs to be fixed. We must work together to find solutions which protect the future of the game, the harness and the extraordinary power football has to get us to the edge of our seats. Finally, we know this has been hugely unsettling for the end and that we know it's been an increasingly difficult year for us all. Our aim is to always make the right decision for this great football club, to protect it for the future and to take us forward. We didn't make the right decision here which we fully accept. We have heard you. Claudio Claude Caligari. It is with great sadness that the club recently learnt the death of Claudio Caligari, a well-known Arsenal fan and larger-than-life personality, sadly passed away March the 29th due to natural causes. Islington native Claude was a much-loved figure by many around the club and best known for his passion shown for his beloved Arsenal in online media. Claude lived and breathed Arsenal, travelled all over the world to watch them play and has watched his first game at Highbury in 1972. Family events are always planned around Arsenal fixtures with one of his grandson's birthday parties being moved to accommodate a trip to Wembley for the FA Cup final. One of the only games he missed during his near 50 years as a fan was for his daughter's wedding but of course he was found huddled in the corner with his earphones on. Such was an unwavering passion of following the support of the club on every occasion. Claude's passing is a great loss to the Arsenal family, and he will be missed. Women hit 10. Congratulations to Arsenal winning, who hit double figures on the FA Cup fourth round win over Gillingham last weekend. Jill Rod led the way with a first half hat trick, and it was a special day for young Anna Patton, who scored her first goal at the Gunners' first team. Joe's team will face championship side Crystal Palace in the next round. A full report from our 10-0 victory appears on pages 64 and 65 of tonight's programme. Ref Watch. John Moss from Yorkshire is referee in his third Arsenal game of the season this evening. He was on chore for our 1-0 home defeat against Man City in February and eventually matched at the London Stadium last month when we came back from 3-0 down to draw 3-3 with West Ham. John is a very experienced official who is now in his 11th season as a Premier League referee. Mohamed there's a real sense of unfinished business underpinning Mohamed Elneny's motivation at the moment. Next week he'll be involved in his fourth Europa League semi-final and he is desperate to finally get his hands on the trophy for the first time, having come so close in the past. He first reached the last four with Basel in 2013, before bowing out to Chelsea. Five years later, Atletico Madrid ended our run at the semi-final stage, while the following year, we saw off Valencia only to fall at the final hurdle to Chelsea in Baku. These disappointments have only served to strengthen his desire to lift the cup 
and it's a similar story at international level too. Last month, Mo scored in Egypt's final qualifier to secure a place at the Africa Cup of Nations to be held in Cameroon next January. And there again, he is motivated by a case of so near yet so far. In 2017, Mo fired Egypt ahead in the final, only for Cameroon to come back and grab a late winner to break Egyptian hearts. So there is no shortage of redemption on Mo's to-do list over the next few months, and gaining revenge over Everton for their victory at Goodison in December wouldn't be a bad place to start. Born El Mahala, El Kubra, Egypt, July 11, 1992. Previous clubs, Al Mokawaloon, Basel, Besiktas, Lone. Joined Arsenal from Basel on January 14, 2016. Debut versus Burnley, home. FA Cup, January 30, 2016, 1-2-1. First goal versus Barcelona, away. Champions League, March 16, 2016, lost 3-1. Egypt caps, 80, 7 goals. Follow me. Follow Mo on Instagram, at M. The Fulham game was a big disappointment in the end to take just one point. What do you put our recent poor form down to at the Emirates? Well, unfortunately, I think if you are talking about the Fulham game, I feel we had a lot of bad luck in that game. We had so many chances, and they had maybe just one shot, and they scored the penalty. We created chances and scored the first goal, but it was ruled out for offside. Then they score from nowhere. So that was an unlucky game, but we kept going and kept going right until the last minute and got the goal for a draw. We gave the opponent hardly anything, but we only got a draw. We are used to VAR now, but is it still frustrating for the players the way it's implemented? I don't like to talk about VAR. You have to respect the rules. But for me, the frustrating thing is it's not always clear what's happening. Sometimes I speak to my friends after the game and they say it was given offside, but it wasn't. It has to be more clear for everyone. Even on TV, when they talk about the decisions, they say it's offside or it isn't. It can kill the momentum of the game too, when it takes so long for the decision. But you have to accept it as players, and we do. We don't think about it on the pitch. When you score, you celebrate, and then afterwards, sometimes, it happens. Our away form lately has been much better. We've scored at least three in each of our past four away games. Why do you think there's a difference between our home and away form lately? It's strange, and I don't have an answer for this, because before it was the other way round for us. I remember in Emery's first season, we struggled away, but always won at the Emirates. But I don't know the reason for it. We don't do anything differently for away games. We have the same structure, so it's tough to work it out. What about your own form lately? You have been heavily involved in the Europa League especially, and you lead the way in terms of appearances in that competition for us this season with 11. I love the Europa League and European football because before I came to Arsenal, I reached the semi-final with Basel and I scored a few goals in Europe for them as well. I love to play in European football. I like playing against different types of teams, against different styles and different atmospheres. I love it, and the Champions League as well. My first game for Arsenal in the Champions League I scored at Barcelona, so I don't know what it is about these competitions, but I love to play in the Champions League and Europa League. You know me though, 
I'm always ready to help the team in any game. Europa League, Premier League, FA Cup. When Mikel calls me, I will give my best. Top UEL appearances, all clubs. Daniel Carusio, 61. Andreas Ulmer, 59. Germain Lenz, 57. Senad Lulik, 57. Dries Mertens, 55. Mohamed Elneny, 55. Rui Patricio, 55. Alexander Dragovic, 54. Bibras Nacho, 53. Carlos Baca, 53. Enrique Mikatarian, 53. Mehmet Topal, 53. Jan Fertongen, 52. Victor Ruiz, 52. Yevhen Konoplanka, 52. Kevin Gamario, 51. Markel Sasueta, 51. Tyson, 51. Borja Valero, 50. You have scored two more Europa League goals this season, both great long-range goals. Have you been working more on shooting in training? Yes, I do it after every training session now. Before the game, we don't do it so much, because you don't want to overload your legs too much the day before a game. But after every other session, I do a lot of shooting practice. I know how much it can improve me as a player if I score more goals. Sometimes a game is won or lost thanks to one shot, so I'm trying to be able to make that difference when my team needs me. So I practice and practice every day, because that's the way to improve your shooting. Is it just about spending more time on it, or have the coaches said anything specific that's helped you? Yes, I've been working with Steve Round. He's improved me a lot, telling me to work on the follow-through. He has been working on the technique of shooting with me. You have to practice and practice that technique. Then when it comes to the game, it will pay off. Now when I'm playing the games, I feel much more confident about scoring when I shoot. I can see my power my technique and my placement of my shots all improving, the more I train on it with Steve. Next up in Europe, we take on Unai Emery's Villarreal. You had a season with him here before going out on loan. What was he like to work with? He's a great coach, but he couldn't get the results that Arsenal wanted. He used to work very hard every day though, and always focused on the details. This competition is his speciality too. He's won so many trophies, and he knows how to win it. He will be well prepared for us, but we too know what we have to do, and we are confident of going through. Mikel has been working hard on this game, and we are all determined to get to the final. Those Villarreal games have huge consequences. Is there a danger that we are distracted for Premier League matches now? No, to be honest, I think everybody's ready for every game now. We still have six games to go in the Premier League and two big games in the Europa League that we have to win if we want to get back to the final. So we have to concentrate on all those games and everyone in the squad is ready for every game we face now. Finally, you scored for Egypt last month as you qualified for the 2021 Africa Cup of Nations. How confident are you of lifting the trophy next year? We feel confident because we have got a really good team now. We are a strong team, and we know there are lots of strong teams in Africa, but we remembered what happened not last time, but the one before, when we lost the final after being 1-0 up. We lost 2-1 late on, and it makes my heart break whenever I remember it, because that was a big chance to win the competition. So we feel like we can do it next time. It's like with Arsenal and the Europa League. 
We feel it's our turn. That's what I was saying to Lacquer the other day. I said we really should win the Europa League now. This is my fourth semi-final, and we've not won it. He said, me too. I reached the semi-final for Lyon, and now three with Arsenal. So we should really win it now. So we are all really motivated to go all the way and do it this time. We are fighting and giving everything to make sure this is the one. Top UEL appearances, Arsenal. Mohamed Elneny, 30. Ainsley Maitland-Niles, 30. Granit Zaka, 28. Alexandre Lacazette, 26. Shokran Mustafi, 26. P.E. Aubameyang, 24. Joseph Willock, 21. Sead Kolasinac, 20. Mesut Ozil, 19. Nacho Monreal, 19. Rob Holding, 19. Lucas Torreira, 18. Alex Iwobi, 17. Danny Ceballos, 17. Hector Bellerin, 17. Enrique Nicotarian, 17. Matteo Guendouzi, 17. Nicolas Pepe, 17. Socrates, 17. The Arsenal Foundation. My story. The work of the Arsenal Foundation and the partners and initiatives it supports have touched the lives of a great number of people in a variety of ways. The Arsenal Foundation's Emergency COVID Fund has helped Food Cycle provide meals to those in need during the pandemic. Volunteer John Bilton, 26, and a civil servant by trade, tells us how it helped. I work for the government because I believe that ultimately it makes people's lives better. But in Whitehall, you're pretty far removed from the people you're helping, and I wanted to do something to help people firsthand. I also wanted to be more involved in my local community. Food Cycle was opening a project in Kilburn, just as I was looking for somewhere to volunteer. Food poverty is something I've always cared about, and Food Cycle gave me the opportunity to do something about it on the ground. I applied to be a project leader and started pretty much straight away. Food Cycle collects surplus food from supermarkets, restaurants and small businesses, and we cook it into delicious three-course meals. Anyone is welcome to come for lunch, so we have a real mix of guests, people living on the streets or in hostels, as well as pensioners and other local residents. We cook lunch on Saturdays, so a shift is usually 10am to 3pm. At Kilburn, we were supporting around 70 people each week. Demand has increased over the past year, although for obvious reasons we haven't been able to offer sit-down meals. We started working with other local community groups to deliver food, which meant serving more people, partly because we were reaching people who weren't able to leave the house even before COVID. It's gratifying to know we're reaching people who we previously couldn't. We've certainly seen more volunteers since COVID too. I think it's a mix of people having more time on their hands and a real sense that people should chip in to support the less fortunate. Having an excuse to get out of the house probably helped too. Funding from the Arsenal Foundation supported our projects in Kilburn, Islington and Hackney, 
and the grant provided stability at an uncertain time to ensure we could continue getting food to people who needed it. I've got a huge amount out of volunteering for Food Cycle too. My proudest moments are the ones where stuff has gone wrong, our food delivery has been late or we're a few volunteers down because that's when everyone really bands together. We manage to cook delicious meals, sometimes out of what seems like very little. I've learned a huge amount from volunteering. Work challenges, which for me centre around international nuclear policy, really don't seem so major when you know you can get a group of people to work together to create a three-course meal for dozens of people. For more info, visit foodcycle.org.uk. Convertible currency. Football historian John Sperling looks at the evolution of Arsenal players' positions past and present. Perry Groves, willing wide boy. As he prepared to sign on the dotted line for Arsenal in the summer of 1986, New Gunners boss George Graham informed the 22-year-old Colchester player that he was buying him as a winger. That didn't faze the £50,000 Perry Groves, who made his name as a utility forward in Essex, but when Graham checked with Groves whether he could play on both wings, Groves answered in an affirmative, even though he'd never played on the left in his career. It set the tone for Groves' highly eventful six-year career in North Five. Never an automatic starter, Groves filled in where and when, Graham told him, because as Groves recalled, George told you where to play. There was no discussion on the matter. He made the first team bow as a substitute against Luton out on the left-hand side, but made his home debut as a forward against Watford at Highbury. Groves argues it was not perhaps his finest performance for the club, nor only did he score, but he also won a penalty, which Martin Hayes converted as Arsenal ran out 3-1 winners. You made some good runs, but you need to work on holding up the ball more effectively, was Graham's typical business-like assessment of Groves' display. As Graham's first signing, the Scot informed Groves that he'd spend much of the season in the reserves, but due to an injury to Charlie Nicholas, Groves took the place alongside striker Noel Quinn. During the autumn as a fresh face, Arsenal climbed to the top of the league, although nominally a striker, Groves often pulled wide, normally on the right depending on how the matches played out, and worked well in tandem with Martin Hayes, George recalled. George wanted Martin and I to use our pace and to cut in from the right and the left. We played a 4-4-2 formation, but it often felt like a 4-2-4 formation with two wingers. Sometimes we even swapped sides. It took first division defences by surprise. Groves lost some of the sparkle in the new year and drifted out of the first team, but his intervention as a substitute in the 1987 Littlewoods Cup final against Liverpool proved decisive. With the scores tied up at 1-1, Groves instructed to play out on the left wing and ran hard and fast at defender Gary Gillespie. Skipped past the Scott and set up Charlie Nicholas for his deflected winner. The pair stood in front of Arsenal fans and celebrated. Although Groves looked back with mixed feelings on the celebration, because as he admitted, I've been brought in by George to take Charlie's place in the team. 
That's exactly what happened in the 87-88 campaign when, after three matches, Graham decided to oust Nicholas for the first team permanently. And Grove slotted in, usually at number 10 alongside the new signing from Leicester, Alan Smith. Groves was under no illusions, though. The personnel at the club was changing rapidly, and when Alan Smith and Brian Marwood were signed and Paul Merson emerged from the reserves, I was always conscious that my playing time may be limited. When Arsenal won the league title in 1988-89, after an 18-year wait, Groves slotted in several times for the injured Paul Merson and netted crucial strikes against Southampton, Luton Town and West Ham in a dramatic showdown against Liverpool at Anfield in May 1989. Graham sent Groves on with the instructions that run at them, the Liverpool defence, and the left and kept them pegged back. As ever, Groves compiled, and with the arrival of Anders Limpar in 1990, Groves' first team appearance grew rather still, but as a substitute, Groves, who signed for Southampton in September 92, continued to lay on assists for Graham's side from either side of the pitch as Arsenal romped the league title in 1991. Martin Hayes, left, right, left. When manager Don Howe blooded Martin Hayes in the Arsenal first team, it was originally as a replacement out on the left for midfielder Graham Ricks. Blessed with surging pace, Howe explained... Martin's strength is that he can operate as a midfielder or a winger on either flank. So it proved, and by season's end, Hayes also performed out well on the right as he replaced Ian Allenson. But Hayes' breakthrough season came in 1986-87 when after turning down a lone move to Huddersfield, he operated as a left-winger striker, netting 24 league and cup goals, 12 of them from the penalty scot. Sadly, Hayes had set himself a standard he found impossible to maintain and he drifted out the team thereafter, although he chipped in with a crucial goal during the 88-89 campaign when he scored Arsenal's winner at Middlesbrough in early May as a substitute. Fourteen times, fourteen consecutive wins. Last August, we lifted the FA Cup for a record-extending 14th time. But it's not just our rich, illustrious history in football's oldest knockout competition that is synonymous with the number 14. Today, we take a look at the club record for consecutive wins. November 14th, 1987. It happened on the 14th. Division 1, Norwich City 2, Arsenal 4. Win number 13 of the run came at Carrow Road in a Division 1 match. It was the first time the club had ever racked up 10 league wins on the spin. Kevin Drinkell pounced on a John Lukic error to put the hosts ahead before the goals came flooding in the second half. David Rocastle's driving header levelled before he set up Michael Thomas for 2-1. Rocastle then bundled home his second from close range and Perry Grove scored our fourth goal in just over 10 minutes to make it 4-1. Norwich netted a late consolation through Drinkle. Our longest ever winning sequence in all competitions was 14 matches, set between September 12th and November 17th, 1987. At the time, the run equalled the record for a top-flight side, 
which had been held solely by Preston North End ever since 1892. Manchester City has since broken the record this season, 21. Our run of victories consisted of 10 league wins and 4 League Cup successes, beginning with a 1-0 victory at Nottingham Forest, courtesy of an Alan Smith strike. There then followed wins over Wimbledon, Doncaster twice, West Ham, Charlton and Oxford, all without conceding a goal. In the 14 games, George Graham's Gunners racked up 32 goals and conceded just five. David Rowcastle and Michael Thomas were the top scorers in the run, with six each, and they were both on target in win number eight, a 2-1 North London derby success away to Spurs in the league. We then beat Derby County, Bournemouth, Newcastle United, Chelsea, Norwich City and Stoke before the sequence came to an end at Highbury on November 21st when Southampton returned south with a 1-0 Division 1 win. Nine players played all 14 games of the sequence. The Gunners nearly matched the achievement in 2002. Then Arsene Wenger's side won 13 games in all competitions between March 23rd and August 18th, 2002. A 2-2 draw away to West Ham United ended the pattern, which had included an FA Cup final win and Community Shield victory. In the history of top-flight English football, there have only ever been eight winning runs of 12 games or more. Arsenal are responsible for four of them. Community. Premier League inspires. Arsenal and the community have a dedicated programme supporting secondary school students in providing information, advice and guidance to support them in making decisions around careers and opportunities. The Premier League inspires programme provides opportunities for students across all year groups and further education colleges to learn about Arsenal Football Club as a case study and the job roles within the organisation. During National Careers Week, from March the 1st to the 5th, Arsenal and the community launched a new initiative as part of the Premier League Inspires programme called Arsenal Conversations. This led to Arsenal staff from a variety of departments, including retail and stadium tours, IT, media and communications, partnerships and legal, facilitating live stream sessions about the work of their department, their career journeys and useful hints and tips for success in careers. The conversations were well received by participants and school staff alike, who valued the input of industry experts to provide valuable insights into the world of work. Arsenal and the community will be delivering further live-stream conversations with staff from across the organisations in the summer term. Schools from Islington, Camden and Hackney are able to take part. If you would like to find out more about this or other programmes for secondary school students, please contact Jack Ferguson by email at jferguson at arsenal.co.uk. Jack Arsenal in the community staff said giving students direct access to professionals has shown to be a positive driving factor towards employment and goal-focused pathway. These opportunities are enhanced by the variety of areas of specialism from staff.
Europa League quarter-final second leg. 8pm Thursday, April 15th at Sinobo Stadium. Arsenal 4, Slavia Prague 0. First half. On 15 minutes, Emil Smith-Rowe thought they had given us the lead after he tucked home the loose ball when Bukayo Saka's shot cannoned back off the bar. But VAR overturned it for offside. We didn't let the disappointment get to us, though. Far from it, with Nicolas Pepe cancelling out the away goal from the first leg. He was found in the penalty area by Smith-Rowe, then kept his cool, skipped past his man and fired home at the near post. Three minutes later, Saka was hauled down in the box and captain Alexandra Lacazette strode up to convert from 12 yards. We weren't done yet, though. Another three minutes elapsed and Saka added a third. Fed this time by Callum Chambers, the 19-year-old advanced at speed into the danger zone, then pulled the trigger with a wonderful low left-foot shot that wrong-footed the keeper and nestled inside the near post. Second half. The second half was about consolidating our position, staying in control and seeing the game out without scares if possible. It's exactly what we did, holding the hosts at bay comfortably until Lacazette grabbed his second of the night and his 17th of an increasingly influential season. He finished well at the near post from a Pepe cross to cap a memorable night on the continent. Forward Arsenal, Bernd Lino. Arsenal Football Club prides itself on always looking forward, so we're asking our players to gaze into the future to see what's on the horizon. What does training look like for you this week? Every day is different. We get the schedule through each week, but the coaching scarf and goalkeeper coach prepare each season. So very early each morning before we arrive. If there is something I really want to work on, for example, I want to do more crosses or if I want to face some short distance shots, then I'll add this after the session. There's always communication between the goalkeeping coach because obviously goalkeepers, this is a special position for you. You can always add things to the session at the end. I have to say though that at the moment we don't have much time for training All we've had is 10 days with the national team and since then we've had a lot of games. So there is travelling every three or four days or so. So then we only have a couple of short sessions with a team before each game. The goalkeeping coach knows this. We have a routine. He knows what I need. And if there's anything extra I want to do, then I'll let him know. But in general, there's nothing special. How much of your training is physical and how much more is tactical based and analysing the opposition? First of all, we watch a lot of games. We analyse every game. We discuss every aspect that comes out of it. So also, of course, we prepare for every team that we face. We watch set pieces. We look at their players, the style of play and how they behave on the pitch. Everything like that. Because you can get an advantage from that. We also prepare all together as a team. So we know how the opposition will play against us. I think that's very important to know their strengths. Do they play on the counter-attack? Do they go for set pieces? Do they want possession? What is part of their game plan? And when you go home, do you find it easy to switch off or you're always thinking about the next game? Normally when I leave the training ground, I try to switch off, especially with a period with so many games as a goalkeeper. You have to recover mentally. It's game after game. And when you only have two days a night, it's tough. For example, when it's a night game, we get home, we cannot sleep very well, so I spend the next day recovering. 
I analyse my game, but then I try to switch off if I have some spare time. Then I might watch some clips of the game, but in general I try to switch off from football and I try to enjoy my life away from it. Because that's also very important, you have to recover. I understand the point where you always be focused, but you can only do that if you take time to relax as well. I try and enjoy my spare time, I play on a PlayStation or something like that. What interests do you have away from football? That will help take your mind off it. Nothing really special. I like to walk with the dogs with my wife in the evening, if the weather's nice especially. But when I get free time, I watch a lot of architecture programs about building houses because in a few years' time, my wife and I want to build a house where we can settle in Germany. So we're starting to think about how we want to design that house. And I watch a lot of videos on YouTube about different ideas and architecture. I know it's far away, but I think about that sometimes. Have you ever thought about much what you do when you retire then? No, I've absolutely no idea. I don't know what I'll do. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Maybe we have kids. So because friends of mine spent a year there, they've said it was amazing, a different lifestyle. I've spoken to Matt Ryan about it. And of course, he's from near Sydney. I think he has told me how beautiful it is there. Have you got an age in mind when you like to play until... It's difficult to say, but at least until my 30s, so 35, 36, but it depends on my body. As soon as I realise my body isn't good enough anymore, I'm suffering pain every morning, then it'll be time to stop. I love football and I want to enjoy it. I don't want to suffer, so I want to be a professional as much as possible, and that can play as long as I possibly can. What else do you do when you retire that you can't do now? Well, the one thing I'm going to do is go skiing in Austria or somewhere like that. When I was a child, I never got the chance to go skiing in Switzerland or Austria. And then when I was older, it was too dangerous in case of injury. But everybody's saying it's amazing. So that's one thing I'd like to learn after my career. But before that, what's your main ambitions in your playing career? First of all, to win as many trophies as possible, starting hopefully with the Europa League. I just want to have that special moment with my teammates. Memories you can look back on. Apart from that, I just want to be the best goalkeeper that I can. The best burned Lino I can be. But the main thing is, is to win trophies. And as soon as possible, to play in front of fans again. Because those are the special moments that you can share with the fans. Finally, there's a spare seat on the next trip to the International Space Station. Do you go? Yes. I want to go. I'd love to go. I think it would be very interesting. I love adventures, so I would definitely do this. So in a dream world, what would your next meal be? I'd go for a sushi. Your next car? A Ferrari. A trophy you'd win? The Europa League this season. Holiday destination? Dubai. New teammate? Can I choose some from the past? Because I would say the Brazilian Ronaldo at his best. Developing strong young gunners. In this issue, Young Gun, Taylor Foran. Match reports, Youth Cup progress. News, well done James. Remember, Jow Virginia. Stats, results and fixtures. Young Gun, Taylor Foran. Talking to Aidan Small. Born, Hillingdon, November 14th, 2003. School, Viners, Uxbridge. Height and weight, 6 foot 3 inches, 80 kilos. Position, centre-back. Signed for Arsenal, age 7. 
For any youngster coming through at Arsenal, making your debut for the under-23s is a really special moment. But my debut was different to most. Let's take things back to October. We had a big game coming up against Manchester City, and I'd recently been training with the under-23s more and more, so I was hoping to get a chance at some point down the line. Anyway, we travelled up to Manchester, and because of a number of circumstances, we had to go with just one keeper in our squad. So Steve came up to me on the morning of the game and said that if worse comes to worst, he wants me to go in goal. I've always been the type to just throw myself into any situation, so I said yes, expecting nothing to come of it. I told the boys about it, and they were taking the mick, saying can you imagine if you actually had to go in goal? Even the coaches did too. It's worth noting that I only turned 17 the week before too. Anyway, the game kicks off, and I'm sat there on the bench watching closely because I wanted to be ready in case they gave me a run out in the second half, or if somebody picks up a sudden injury. You've got to be ready for any situation, but I don't think anyone could prepare me for what happened next. We went 1-0 up through Nikolaj Moller in the sixth minute, but almost instantly after, a ball was played over the top of our defence and Karl Hein knocked Felix Nentje straight to the floor. He was given a straight red card. At this point, Paul, our under-23s kit man, turned round to me and said, Come on, Taylor, let's go. And I was thinking, Oh my God, what have I let myself in for? But to be fair to the lads, they were brilliant to me, and I didn't feel any pressure whatsoever. I just told myself that this situation is crazy, and like nothing else I'll probably ever experience again. So I might as well be confident and try to enjoy it. Corners and set pieces were definitely scary though. I had no clue what I was doing, and yet here I was barking orders and telling my wall to move left or right. Whenever crosses or shots were coming at my feet, I decided that it was smarter to just use my feet and clear the ball, rather than try to catch it. I know I'm good at clearing the ball, and that's when I'm comfortable. But if I force myself to start catching and diving too much, that's when I'd start to make silly errors. I was loving it out there. I was having a great time. I'll never forget the reception all the lads gave me after the game too. I walked into the dressing room a little later than most because I had to do some running and Steve was in the middle of his team talk. That's when he pointed me out and said, if it wasn't for this man today, it could have been so much worse. And then I got a big round of applause from everyone. That meant a lot to me because it wasn't how I planned to make my debut. To be completely honest, my dad was gutted when he first saw because he wanted me to make my debut outfield like anyone would. But once he saw the respect I was getting online and understood the situation, he loved it. The funniest thing about it is that for the next couple of weeks I actually had some of the best stats for a keeper in the Premier League too. It's a funny story that will stick with me forever, but I think that it says something about the way I am as a person and as a player too. I'm that defender who is willing to put his body on the line and block literally anything coming at goal. So I think that's why they trusted me. I'll do anything to win, and I've always enjoyed a challenge, even if that challenge involves going in goal. I'm not your typical modern-day centre-back. I'm a bit more old-school. I really don't feel like there's many defenders like me in academy football these days, because my mentality is defend first and deal with everything else later. I'm extremely vocal on the pitch, 
I'm the kind of player who will do absolutely anything to win the ball back or keep a clean sheet. I've always been like that. It's just the way I love playing the game. It feels weird to me not talking or organising the team out on the pitch. There's a quote about defending that says you have to worry about what's around you, not the ball. In possession is when you're most at risk, so organising counter-attacks and organising behind the ball is so important, and it's something that's always come naturally to me. Going forward, I just want to keep working hard on those strengths of mine and hopefully get more opportunities with the under-23s. Just maybe not in goal again. Rate yourself. Scores out of 100. Speed, 84. Shooting, 60. Dribbling, 76. Strength, 91. Passing, 89. Defending, 93. Taylor Forand, lowdown. Earliest memory of football. When I was offered my contract at seven. Got me into playing football. My granddad. First footballer looked up to. Tony Adams. Best friends in football. Henry Jeffcott and Remy Mitchell. Team supported as a child. Arsenal. Best goal of all time. Roberto Carlos's curling free kick. Best goal I've ever scored. A shot from the halfway line. Best player I've faced. Anzu Fati. Best piece of skill I've done in a game. Nutmeg when getting pressed. Best moment of career so far. Captaining the team to winning the tournament in Singapore. Player to score a one-on-one to save my life. Kayon Edwards. Best training ground tip I've been given. Enjoy every moment. Don't let anyone stop you from becoming who you want to be. My football memorabilia. I have all my old kits, medals and trophies. Another sport I'm good at. Golf. Favourite training drill. Defending crosses. Most important non-playing attribute for young footballers. Sleep and eat the correct food. Biggest lesson learnt off the pitch at Arsenal. Humility. Favourite footballer of all time. Sergio Ramos. Favourite follow on Instagram. UFC. Favourite musician. Lil Baby. Best football attribute. Communication and leadership. One thing I need on an away day. iPad to watch a box set. One thing I want to do in my football career, play for Arsenal and England. If I wasn't a footballer, I'd be an MMA fighter. First team player I look up to most is David Luiz. Not many people know I'm a kickboxing black belt. Premier League 2, Monday, April 12th, Loughborough University Stadium. Derby County 2, scorers Cresswell, 40 penalty, Shawnee Bari, 53. Arsenal 3. Scorers Taylor Hart 50, Belogan 79, Bateman 83, own goal. Arsenal under 23. Hein, Mon Lewis, Dinzey, Kirk, Lopez, Bola 90, Akinola, Aziz, Taylor Hart, Belogan, Moller, Coyle. Subs not used. Smith, Foran, Arway, Lewis. Our under-23 secured a vital Premier League 2 victory last week as they ran out 3-2 winners over Derby County. Miguel Aziz and Joel Lopez both started, just two days on from being named in our first-team matchday squad against Sheffield United, while 17-year-old Zane Monluis stepped in at right-back. Heading into this fixture off the back of victories against Liverpool and Tottenham Hotspur, 
Derby started the game full of confidence and after a lengthy spell of possession deservedly opened the scoring through Cameron Cresswell. Joel Lopez committed a clumsy foul inside the penalty area and Creswell duly converted from 12 yards. Following the restart, we upped our intensity in the final third and went on to equalise against the run of play. A loose ball dropped to Kiddo Taylor Hart inside the area following a set piece, and the 18-year-old swivelled with a silky first touch before firing into the bottom corner. We would spend just two minutes back on level terms, though, as Derby raced forward on the counter and exposed our back line, leaving Josh Shinobare to coolly finish past Karl Hein. But our youngsters kept their cool, and despite Derby's dominance in possession, we continued to look a threat on the break. Trey Coyle was outstanding all evening on the right wing, and after breaking free inside the penalty area to reach the byline, picked out Falarin Belogan, who made no mistake in finding the bottom corner. Both sides continued to push forward in search of a winner in the closing stages, but with an inviting delivery from Trey Coyle and some good fortune, Joe Bateman inadvertently bundled the ball into his own net and handed us all three points. FA Youth Cup, Friday, April 16th, Rush Green Stadium. West Ham United 1, goalscorer Mubama 84, Arsenal 3, goalscorers Hutchinson 26, 80 penalty, Edwards 48. Arsenal under 18, Edge Harry, Norton Cuffey, Kirk, Monlouis, Ogumbo, Aziz, Henry Francis, Hutchinson, Flores, substitute, Idaho, Taylor Hart, Edwards, subs not used, Mitchell, Foran, Ave, Sargo Jr., Gaspar, Jeffcott. Our under-18s booked their place in the quarter-finals of the FA Youth Cup last Friday as they ran out 3-1 winners over West Ham United. Amari Hutchinson was outstanding, scoring twice, while Miguel Aziz starred in midfield 24 hours after being named in our Europa League squad in Prague. Aziz and Jack Henry Francis took control of the midfield early on, and that set the tone for an exciting attacking performance from start to finish. But for all of our early possession, our opener arrived through a blistering counter-attack. Zane Monlouis switched play to the right where Brooke Norton Cuffey and Marcelo Flores combined before Hutchinson took over, firing into the bottom corner. Three minutes after the restart, we doubled our advantage through Keon Edwards. Hutchinson cut inside from the right wing and rattled the near post, but Edwards converted the rebound. Hutchinson then went on to strike the post once more after spinning away from his marker, before Edwards had a golden opportunity to double his tally on the night, only to fire wide from close range. We weren't done there though, and as Hutchinson broke free down the left wing and charged into the penalty area, Jamal Baptiste brought him down and was shown a straight red card. Hutchinson stepped up and made no mistake from 12 yards, firing into the bottom left corner. The host went on to pull one back through Divin Nubama, but it proved to be nothing more than a consolation goal as we closed the game out with maturity and composure. Academy News Liverpool await in FA Youth Cup. Our under-18s will face Liverpool in the quarter-final of the FA Youth Cup. Ken Gillard's side ran out comfortable 3-1 winners 
over West Ham in the fifth round of the competition, and they must now prepare for a tricky away tie against the Reds. Liverpool kicked off their FA Youth Cup campaign with a 6-0 win over Sutton United, before going on to defeat Manchester United 1-0 and Leicester City 5-1. The tie must be played by Saturday, May the 1st, and the winners will face either Sheffield United or Ipswich in the semi-final. Hilson named in first matchday squad. Congratulations to James Hilson, who was named in his first Europa League matchday squad against Slavia Prague last week. The 20-year-old was listed as one of two keepers on the bench, alongside Matt Ryan, and will have certainly gained some invaluable first-team experience. James first joined the club on loan from Reading at the end of the 2018-19 season before signing on professional terms in July 2019. He's since made a total of five appearances for our youth sides and impressed through his hard work and exceptional attitude. Keep up the good work, James. Academy Loan Watch Seven of our academy players were in action for their respective loan clubs last weekend. Here's a summary of how they got on. Tyrese John Jules made his return from injury for Doncaster Rovers in a 2-0 victory over Shrewsbury Town. The young striker has been out injured since January and came on in the 62nd minute. Mark McGuinness played the full 90 minutes in Ipswich Town's 0-0 draw with Charlton Athletic on Saturday. Matt Smith wasn't involved for the hosts. Daniel Ballard played the entirety of Blackpool's 1-0 victory over Sunderland on Saturday, taking them up to fifth in the League One table. Sek Medley played 90 minutes of Kilmarnock's 3-1 victory over Montrose in the fourth round of the Scottish Cup on Saturday. Harry Clark played 66 minutes as Oldham Athletic slipped to a 4-3 defeat against Morecambe on Saturday. James Olly Inca was subbed on in the 76th minute of Southend United's 0-0 draw with Exeter City. Joseph Oluwu was involved for Wheelstone on Saturday, playing 65 minutes in their 7-2 loss to Hartlepool United. Academy Alumni, catching up with former Arsenal Academy players as they continue their pro careers away from Emirates. Jao Virginia You'll find this former gunner on the back of today's programme, as an Everton player. Jao Virginia arrived at Arsenal as a scholar in the summer of 2016 from Benfica in his native Portugal, and during two seasons with the club, he was the regular under-18 keeper and played 38 times at that level, keeping 12 clean sheets. He also played a game in the UEFA Youth League and made three appearances in the under-23s. After moving to Everton, he initially settled into their under-23s and has played 22 games at that level for them, keeping 11 clean sheets. In his first season at Goodison Park, he also played in the Football League Trophy and in his second, Jow tasted some competitive football with three games on loan at Reading, two in the Championship and one in the EFL Cup. This season, the Portuguese has played first-team football for Everton, firstly with a 3-0 win over Salford in the FA Cup, then he replaced the injured Jordan Pickford in the Premier League on March the 13th this year in a 2-1 home defeat to Burnley, though neither goal was conceded by the 20-year-old. And a week later, he started the FA Cup quarter-final against Manchester City at Goodison, a game one with two late goals from Ilkay Gundogan 
and Kevin De Bruyne. A successful career looks on the cards for Jao, and look out for his little brother Pedro. Previously part of Arsenal's academy, the 17-year-old is currently keeping goal for FC Porto's youth team. Arsenal Women News and reports from England's most successful women's football team. Arsenal vs Gillingham Women's FA Cup Sunday, April the 18th, Meadow Park Arsenal 10, Gillingham 0 Scoring for Arsenal were Roar in the 7th, 21st and 42nd minutes Mead in the 12th and 89th minutes Little in the 15th Maidema in the 16th Patton in the 60th Van der Donk in the 70th and Nobbs in the 72nd minute Playing for Arsenal were Williams, Meyer substituted by Williamson in the 46th minute, Patton, Woburn Moy, McCabe substituted by Nobbs in the 66th minute, Good, Little substituted by Goldie in the 66th minute, Rudd substituted by Van der Donk in the 46th minute, Mead, Maidema, Ford, Subs not used, Zinsberger, Walty. We hit double figures in the fourth round of the Vitality Women's FA Cup last Sunday to run out ten nil winners over Gillingham. Vivian Maidema marked her 100th appearance for the club with a goal, while Jill Rood hit a first-half hat-trick and Anna Patton scored her first in Arsenal colours. Taya Goldie also made her first-team debut as a second-half substitute. Having named a strong starting eleven, we wasted no time in asserting our dominance over the FA Women's National League side, and after just seven minutes we found ourselves ahead. Rudd opened the scoring by firing home from close range before Beth Mead doubled our advantage with one of her signature crot finishes breaking free down the right wing and firing in off the woodwork. Kim Little then went on to make it three, by brushing into the bottom left corner, before Maidema capitalised on good left-wing play by Caitlin Ford and Rudd to coolly finish past Cara Davis. Rudd then registered her second of the afternoon with another impressive finish, peeling off the shoulder of her marker before completing her hat-trick in the 42nd minute from a similar attacking move. Following the restart, Gillingham managed to keep us at bay for 15 minutes, but it was worth the wait for our seventh, as Patton scored her first goal for the club. Maidema found space on the left side of the box and delivered an inch-perfect pass into the path of Patton, who was left with the simple task of firing home. Danielle van der Donk followed this up with an outstanding header for our eighth of the afternoon, courtesy of a floated Leah Williamson cross before substitute Jordan Knob stormed into the area and fizzed a low effort into the bottom corner. For a moment, it looked like we would fall short of double figures, as Gillingham's defence continued to put their bodies on the line, but with less than a minute remaining, Meade made it ten as she pounced on a loose ball and powered home from close range. Palace next. We will face Crystal Palace at home in the fifth round of the competition, with the match scheduled to be played on the weekend of May the 16th. Palace play in the Championship and swept aside Brentford in the fourth round 
The match is set to be Joe Montemurra's final game in charge, as all remaining rounds of the FA Cup will be completed next season. The Visitors Everton Formed 1878 Nicknamed the Blues, the Toffees Stadium, Goodison Park 39,414 Honours, First Division, Premier League, 1890, 1914, 1927, 1931, 1938, 1962, 1969, 1984, 1986. Second Division Championship winners, 1930. FA Cup winners, 1906, 1933. 1966, 1984, 1995. Fahad Moshiri, Chairman, Bill Cartwright. Social followers, Twitter, 2.4 million. Instagram, 2.3 million. Facebook, 3.9 million. Everton visit Emirates Stadium this Friday night, hoping to end a worrying streak that has left them winless in the last six matches. Five of them in the Premier League. Carlo Ancelotti's side have been jostling for position in the upper reaches of the table for most of the season as they tried to qualify for European football. But after last Friday's 2-2 draw at home to Tottenham, they now find themselves in 8th place and knowing that the defeat tonight will enable Arsenal to move above them. It's been a disappointing few weeks for the Merseysiders with elimination from the quarterfinals of the FA Cup by Manchester City they lost 2-0 to the league leaders at Goodison Park, following successive Premier League defeats by Chelsea, 2-0 at Stamford Bridge, and Burnley, 2-1 at home. Then proceeding three successful draws against Crystal Palace, 1-1 at home, Brighton, 0-0 away, and Spurs. It is the club's longest sequence in games without a win since Carlo Ancelotti was appointed the manager in December 2019. Having ended last season poorly with just three wins in their last dozen league games and one in the last six to finish 12th, the club's lowest final placing since 2003-2004 campaign, when they only just avoided relegation in 17th, Everton invested heavily in the summer with a raft of new signings, including Ben Godfrey, Adied Dokhri, Allen and the most eye-catching 2014 World Cup star James Rodriguez on a free transfer from Real Madrid. A much-improved 2020-21 campaign was anticipated and Everton duly started it with a bang. When Everton held champions Liverpool at a 2-2 draw at home on October 17th, they found themselves hopping the Premier League table their four preceding fixtures having all ended in victory, with informed striker Dominic Calvin-Lewin scoring for fun. However, 
Three defeats in a row followed then and since Angelotti's side have performed like a proverbial roller coaster. Their season, a succession of peaks and troughs and high points came in mid-December when they made it three wins in a row with a 2-1 home success against Arsenal. And in the early spring, when the first win at Anfield this century, 2-0, heralded another three-game winning run. The Toffees can point to a number of injuries to key players as a reason for their inconsistency this season, which has brought seven league defeats at Goodison as opposed to just three on their travels. Southampton 2-0, Newcastle 2-1 and Chelsea, Calvert-Lewin has missed the last two matches. Whilst other key personnel such as Decorey, Alan Rodriguez, Yaya Mina, Lucas, Jordan Pickford and skipper Seamus Coleman have all been sidelined for extended spells. With seven games remaining, Everton still have ample opportunity to finish the season on a high. But do they do that and do they need to end their winless run sooner rather than later? Premier League record. Arsenal Football Club wins 34, draws 14, Everton Football Club wins 9. Arsenal win percentage 60%. All score record. AFC wins 107, draws 46, Everton Football Club 62, Arsenal win percentage 50. 49, Dominic Calvin-Lewin's strike after 49 seconds last season was the quickest Premier League goal we have conceded at the Emirates Stadium. 111, we have scored 111 Premier League goals against Everton, more than any side has scored against any opposition in the competition's history. Number four, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has scored four goals in his three home games against Everton, including on his debut in February 2018. Scouting report by Michael Cox. It's rare to witness a side that's let in two goals in such similar fashion as as Everton's two concessions against Tottenham a week ago for both goals finished by Harry Kane. A cross resulted in a mighty mix-up between centre-backs Michael Kane and Mason Holgate. For the first, Kane misjudged the header inadvertently, flicking it to the back post over Holgate and the, the awaiting Harry Kane. For the second, Kane headed it against Holgate with the same outcome. Clearly, Everton don't relish defending crosses, although you can be sure that Carlo Ancelotti had made them practice that in the training this week. Ordinarily, Everton's defence has looked solid in recent weeks. Ben Godfrey, a centre-back, has become accustomed to the right-back role, although the introduction of veteran Seamus Coleman, a more natural overlapper, immediately resulted in Everton's second against Spurs, scored by Sigurdsson on the left. Lucas Dinge files forward wherever possible and is an outstanding crosser. Ancelotti has used both the four-man defence and a back three this season, the latter being a significant departure from his favoured shape throughout his magnificent career. In that system, former Arsenal winger Alex Iwobi has often fielded as a right wing-back. Perhaps the most interesting feature of Everton's defending, meanwhile, is their approach to the wide free kicks, whereas every other Premier League side sets up with one solid row of players, holding the offside line. Everton drop much deeper, although on top of their goalkeeper, and defend with two lines. It has sometimes caused problems for free kick takers, 
although it makes it difficult for goalkeeper Jordan Pickford on his occasional replacement, Robin Olsen. Ancelotti's team selection in recent weeks has been dictated largely by injuries. Yeri Mina, Andre Gomez, Fabian Delph, Bernard, Calvert-Lewin and Adelou Deku have all been out recently, whilst Jean-Philippe Toffi's career has barely got started. Last week against Tottenham, it was roughly a 5-4-1 with Alan playing a solid deep midfield role, whilst Tom Davis given more licence to push forward into attack. The main quality of the system was that it has allowed Sigurdsson and Jane Rodriguez to push forward, and at times Everton attacking has been very impressive. Sigurdsson and Rodriguez may be considered similar as creative attacking midfielders, but in reality they provide very different qualities. Sigurdsson isn't overwhelming influence in build-up in play, but is excellent at timing his bursts into goal-scoring positions. Whilst Rodriguez can dictate play, but doesn't offer the particular constant goal threat in open play. Richardson has been playing up front alone, where his movement into the channels works very well. He played the lone striker role expertly in Everton's long-awaited victory at Anfield earlier this year, but he's more dangerous when he can form a partnership with Calvert-Lewin, who offers both speed in behind and an aerial threat. Josh King is another option, having joined from Bournemouth in January. Europa League Match Day 32. 1.30pm, Sunday, April the 18th, at the Emirates Stadium. Arsenal 1, Fulham 1. First half. Just 33 seconds had elapsed when Gabriel Martinelli raced onto Alexandra Lacazette's lofted ball and lifted his shot over Alphonse Areola, but it dropped just wide. Martinelli then forced a sprawling save from Areola with a shot on the turn after Emile Smith-Rowe charged into the box and cut the ball back from the byline. Our superiority looked to be rewarded when Danny Caballos soared to meet Hector Bellerin's cross to score what he thought was his first Premier League goal but a VAR check spotted that Bukayo Saka was offside during the build-up and the goal was ruled out. Second half. Lacazette fired a low shot just wide early in the second half and Saka hit the post from an acute angle. A goal seemed on the cards, but surprisingly it came at the other end. Gabriel was penalised for a trip on Mario Lamina inside the box and, after another VAR check, Josh Madger smashed a penalty into the roof of the net. Nicolas Pepe looked to have scored the equaliser with a downward header after Martinelli went past Ariola and chipped in a cross, but the Fulham goalkeeper got back to make a fine instinctive save. Deep into injury time, Matt Ryan came forward for a corner, a decision that paid dividends with a flick-on that helped set up Eni Nketiah's late, late strike. My Arsenal. Name Richard Servolka. Age 36. Live in Basildon, Essex. Occupation Investigator. Type of membership Gold. Why are you an Arsenal fan? My family wasn't into football. I started playing in the school playground and wanted to find a team to follow. It was during our 1994 Cup Winners' Cup run as we were the team on TV every week, so I started watching Arsenal. 
I squealed when Alan Smith scored against Palmer, and it was that moment I knew I was a gooner. Favourite game. Reading 5, Arsenal 7. I'll never forget the celebrations when Walcott scored the winner. Match day routine before kick-off. I usually meet my friends in the White Swan for something to eat and drink. How do you feel when you approach the ground? The sights, the smells and the sounds are always so special. I cannot wait to get back to experience those again. Furthest you've travelled to watch Arsenal play. Baku, Azerbaijan, via Paris and Budapest for the Europa League final. Not the result we wanted, but what an amazing experience. People assume I regret going all that way, but I would do it again in a heartbeat. Favourite away ground and why? I always enjoy Brighton, a good city with well-organised transport links on a match day. It's a shame we hardly ever seem to play there when it's nice weather, so we can enjoy the seafront. Favourite piece of memorabilia? An inflatable FA Cup bought outside the ground at the 2003 final and have kept inflated for the past 18 years. Also in the loft is a treasure chest of 90s memorabilia from my childhood that I can't wait to rummage through one day. Do you collect programmes? I have every home programme since the 1992-93 season and I will pick up a programme at every away game I attend. What do you wear to games? I like wearing a yellow away shirt, in particular my favourite, the bruised banana or the Anfield 89 shirt. Yellow pants for luck at FA Cup finals. Seems to work. All-time favourite player, Ian Wright. When I got into football, he scored the goals which made us all happy every weekend. And then after he retired, I won a competition to play in a match at Wembley he organised. Arsenal cult hero, Silvino. Growing up, I loved Roberto Carlos, but then suddenly we signed our own Brazilian left back, who also had a thunderbolt of a left foot. Best goal you've seen live? A random one. When Arsenal reserves played at Tottenham, an unknown Spanish teenager picked up the ball and beat about half the Tottenham team to square for Adam Birchall to tap in. It was 16-year-old Cesc Fabregas. Which player would you most like to go for dinner with? Granit Xhaka, a criminally underrated player with a wand of a left foot, and I'd be sure to tell him that. Always gives 110% on the pitch, and I think he would be fascinating company. You can be present at any match in history. Copenhagen in 1994. You can watch us play any side in history. Invincibles against Manchester United's treble winners. Settle the argument once and for all, even though we all know who would win. Teams for Arsenal manager Mikel Arteta. Red shirts with white sleeves, white shorts and socks. 1. Bernd Leno, goalkeeper. 2. Hector Bellerin. 3. Kieran Tierney. 6. Gabriel. 7. Bukayo Saka. 8. Dani Ceballos. 9. Alexandre Lacazette. 11. Martin Odegaard. 12. William. 13. Alex Runason, goalkeeper. 14. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang 16. Rob Holding 17. Cedric Suarez 18. Thomas Partey 19. Nicolas Pepe 21. Callum Chambers
22. Pablo Mori 23. David Lewis 24. Rhys Nelson 25. Mohamed Elneny 30. Eddie Nketiah 32. Emil Smith-Rowe 33. Matt Ryan, goalkeeper 34. Granit Xhaka 35. Gabriel Martinelli 38. Follerin Balogun 41. Ben Cottrell 66. Miguel Aziz For Everton Manager Carlo Ancelotti Blue shirts, shorts and socks 1. Jordan Pickford Goalkeeper 4. Mason Holgate 5. Michael Keane 6. Alan 7. Richarlison 8. Fabian Delph 9. Dominic Calvert-Lewin 10. Gilfie Sigurdsson 11. Joshua King 12. Lukas Dinyi 13. Yerimina 16. Abadale Ducore 17. Alexi Wobi 18. Niels Nkunku 19. James Rodriguez 20. Bernard 21. Andre Gomez 22. Ben Godfrey 23. Seamus Coleman 25. Jean-Philippe Gubarman 26. Tom Davis 30. Mohamed Besic 31. Joad Virginia, goalkeeper 33. Robin Olsen, goalkeeper 34. Nathan Broadhead Match officials Referee Jonathan Moss Assistant referees Mark Perry Dan Robathan Fourth official Graham Scott VAR David Coote Assistant VAR Stuart Burt the Arsenal Foundation, helping young people fulfil their potential through education and sport. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Sky 
Sports. Watch it live. Feel it all. Premier League. Official Premier League app. Manage your fantasy team and receive the latest Premier League updates. Free to download. Download on the App Store. Get it on Google Play. Available at Amazon. Arsenal are home. New 2020-21 home kit. On sale in store and online. Future. Forever faster. Humour. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.